Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. Get ready? Prepare for blastoff. Victory of Starfighters, my name is Carlin Jones, and this is a Starfighter full movie podcast. And today we are doing a very special episode, a rewatch episode, because I haven't rewatched anything yet on this podcast. We are going to be watching the 2020 uh, play Hamilton, the <laughs> critically acclaimed uh, theater production that even after all these years, people are still talking about. And today I brought along a very special guest, someone who is uh, a fan of my channel, fan of the podcast, and who wants to talk some Hamilton. Uh, Desdar, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Carlin, and greetings to the audience of Carlin. I'm from that long lost episode of the In the Heights episode of uh, of this podcast. That's and right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is technically my second um, appearance, but technically my official appearance on the podcast. So yeah, um, it is really nice to be here. Carlin is a great guy, really sweet guy. And um, I felt personally I was compelled to do this after I listened to the podcast mm -hmm. and I felt like I could come on here and, you know, as a African-American and a theater, a, a former theater kid and current performer slash teacher, I could give my own unique um, I could just give my own unique perspective on this play that you really wouldn't get from someone who is white. And I thought I could also maybe potentially challenge some of Carlin's points that right. he had about the play initially. So I thought, you know what, why not? Let's not do this. You know, why not do this? And surprisingly, that uh, video got a lot of attention from people, you know, in the comments section who were like rooting for this to happen. So thank exactly. you guys out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I cannot wait for I almost don't want to call it debate like a, a debate but more of just like a great conversation that's about to be had oh yeah um i think these conversations are rare and i felt like you know personally in the original and no shade at darby i think she's she's wonderful I absolutely just, shout out to darby <laughs> yeah um, i just felt like uh as a white progressive liberal type i just kind of felt like she wasn't really wanting to go there you know and have these conversations and call out Carlin for a spitballing. And I'm like, I feel like I'm in a position where I am of the culture. I'm black. I have my own unique experiences that influence the way I feel. I think I can add a lot more to this conversation that would mean oh. a lot because I am, you know, black, who is a fan of this musical and who has been through the ringer in theater before. So I thought I can give that unique, fresh perspective that you might not be able to get. That's right. That's right. Because it's, uh, so for anyone listening, this is basically going to be two two black guys talking about Hamilton. One is very experienced in theater, knows the lingo, knows mm. the culture. And another one has no idea what any of that stuff is, but is just a lover of movies and wants to understand why people love movies. Even though I've seen this before, seeing it a second time, I guarantee you it's about to be a whole new experience. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think also how often do you see, you know, two black men come together to kind of talk about something from a different perspective? I think even now that's like really rare. So I think this is going to be special. And this is also before Juneteenth. So that's also another special thing that I didn't even realize until I looked at my calendar. So, yeah, that's even more special. 
Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. Juneteenth. Yeah. People got to, <laughs> you know, it's really funny. My, we'll talk about it once the podcast starts, but I remember my brother was telling me, he's like, uh, I don't know if this is right with me that white people get, get the day off too. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it's always, it is always something. I feel like they make these holidays for themselves just so they can say, well, what I did, but what about this though? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But so, okay, so, so with that said, because there's going to be so much more to talk about, and this is like a two hour and 40 minute movie, let's get right into it. So oh, Starfighter, yeah, so Starfighter, if you want to watch along with us, you can watch Hamilton on Disney Plus, because obviously it's owned by Disney. Uh, so yeah, that's where we're going to be watching it. And we're going to start this movie in five Four, three, two, one. All right, awesome. I almost forgot to tell you. Well, you've been on the podcast before, but I almost forgot to tell you. I'm like, I'm gonna count down from five, four, three, two, one, and then after one, we both first play. <laughs> yeah. Okay, awesome. So yeah, so by the way, that in the heights podcast that we did. Hmm. Because I'm sure this audience definitely doesn't know that. But we definitely have it in the Heights episode where we watch the movie. And that will be coming out soon. I'm still editing it. And then at the moment of like nearly finishing it, I had to like fly out to L.A. for like family stuff. Oh, man. Um, right here. They introduced one of the motifs, the Ten Dual Commandments. That's right. The Ten Dual Commandments. Mm hmm. And this is Jonathan Groff from Frozen. Now, one thing I, I will say, and I said it with Darby, I was like, I haven't been to too many like theater houses, but the entire way that this is built, like with the spinning floor and then the walls and all that stuff and able to change things like I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, dude. and you see this part right here. You know, Burr's part is actually a reference to uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, where Judas, the antagonist of the play, introduces the antagonist, the protagonist, and that was like really dope. And there's David Diggs, and this part right here. This is foreshadowing that. These people are talking about what Hamilton is going to do, you know, in the future, which is a hint that this is just a recollection of Hamilton. You're not actually seeing this in real time. Okawanda, yeah, my bro. That's right. Remember these actors. Okay, yeah, and this part right here. All right, I'll let you know when this play officially lost me when, <laughs> when I first started watching it. Oh, you see this part right here where he says, what's your name, man? That line is a reference to Ja Rule's I'm Real and also Eminem's I'm the Real Slim Shady. So are they, like, hoping to get, like, cookie points by referencing these hip-hop songs? Um, no, this was just baked into the material. It's not like, uh, it like, it works even if you don't get it. I'm just like pointing them out and you mm. see right here, Hamilton is stuck in the present 
and everyone else is saying, okay, yeah, Hamilton, what you're going to do. He can't actually see these people from a musical standpoint. They're just explaining who Hamilton is and the events that made Hamilton what he is. Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, this is also a nod to um, the opening of Sweetie Todd, where all the main cast introduce the main character. Love Sweetie Todd. I love that play. I remember I first watched that in um, high school. I think I was like a junior or senior in high school. And I remember the movie, the movie itself was about to come out. And I was like, oh, I really want to watch this. But there's there's no way I can watch it because it's not out yet. But I went on YouTube and someone posted the full Broadway play on there. And I was just I just fell in love with that that production. Oh, yeah, that's um, Steve. That is Andrew Lloyd Webber. There's a huge spoiler in here already. It can't be a spoiler if it's a part of the play. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean, like, technically, you know, because it's history, so it can't be spoiled. And also, this part right here, this is where the dual casting plays a role. You know, so I'm going to explain that. Now, see, Lafayette and Lawrence, you know, they play these characters play actors that, depending on how you read it, um, change Lafayette, Jefferson, Mulligan. They fought with Hamilton on his side and they also were against him. John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton died for him. And the Schuyler sisters and Maria Reynolds, they were fond of Hamilton. They did like him. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is one also one of my favorite songs. Next up is Aaron Burser. All right. When I originally first watched this movie, it still hasn't lost me yet. Yeah. Not and yet. <laughs> now, you see, this whole song, the whole point of it is to set up the dichotomy between Hamilton and Burr. Mm. I wonder why they just, or I guess he decided, but why did Lynn feel like he was the best person for this role? He wasn't actually going to play Hamilton initially. Originally, that was Javier Munoz, but he conducted complications from HIV, and so he couldn't play it. And so Lynn went on in his steed. And, um, and Leslie Odom Jr. came on later. I want to explain that in a later part. So basically, Lynn swapped out to play the role briefly. And once Javier recovered, he resumed the role of Hamilton. So it was a kind of a last-minute thing. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. We still got Lynn here. <laughs> I feel oh, like yeah. someone else could play this. Someone else should have played this role. Well, it's very much kind of written with Lynn in mind, though. Well, like, I well, I can definitely see that since he did write it. But yeah. And this whole point right here is demonstrating the differences. Burr is this very indecisive and cautious guy. And Hamilton is the exact opposite. He's decisive, dogmatic, and an opportunist. Here it comes. Here it comes. This is where it loses me. Okay. So first of all, this whole thing <laughs> where Bill says the fools who run their mouth off run up, wind up dead. Burr outlives all of these dudes. 
And Lawrence, the guy who starts this off, ends up dying before everyone else does at the end of Act 1. And what they're rapping about right here, they're essentially rap like Philip and you know Philip is rapping about uh he's rapping about legacy. Lafayette is rapping about wanting the glory to kind of free French from the monarchy, and Lawrence and Mulligan, the big black black guy, is rapping about the women in a similar way to the you know uh, to Big Punisher actually. And these characters are supposed to be representing aspects of Hamilton. The like Hamilton, he wants glory, he wants legacy, and women are basically his weakness. And here they're trying to get Burr to kind of confess with them, but Burr's like, nah, I'm I'm not gonna take a stand on here. You guys can run on your mouths off. I'm gonna sit back and see how this goes. And um, yeah. And this whole thing, Hamilton's song, My Shot, is basically Hamilton's I Want song where he basically talks about wanting to override himself and kind of carve out a legacy for himself. Right. Yeah, they definitely... Lynn should have definitely got someone else to play Hamilton. Actually, I think he did a pretty good job, honestly. Because the thing about Hamilton... Well, I guess we'll talk about it in the interlude, but there's a reason why I think he really does work in the role compared to a lot of other people. And I've seen other people in the role of Hamilton, and they basically try to imitate Lynn... And I'm like, of course, oh my yeah, goodness. of course. Yeah, yeah. They, kind of, they kind of emulate that performance. Mm-hmm. So this opening of him of my shot is actually a nod to Jay-Z's My First Song. And the whole gotta holler, you know, just to be heard is a reference, which I'm sure you know, holler if you hear me by Tupac. Right, right, it's right. I've never really been that big on Jay-Z, though. I know my sister is not either. She says he looks like a camel. Yeah, I never, I never really been. I know Jay Z is like in those goat talks, but I always found his lyricism <laughs> kind of like bland, in a sense. Oh yeah, and also, his production the, was always was always good though. Oh, I agree. And only nineteen, but my mind is older. Is a nod to Maz, the Mob Deeps, the Shook Ones Part Two. Shook Ones Part Two. Hmm classic mm. also you know out they spell out alexander i am the al you know that is a nod to biggie's back to cali where he's like i am the you know, you know i'm sure you know cal carlin know who um where they say i am the al ax you know they spell alexander hamilton alexander's name that is a nod to biggie's back to cali you know where he spells out his name big papa oh yeah i completely missed that i think i think biggie smalls is cool but i was just talking about this with my brother the other day because i think um rolling stone put out a um they put out some type of hip-hop list of like top 50 or top 20 albums, hip rap albums of all time, which whoever the fuck made that list is obviously trash. But <laughs> I think they put Biggie Smalls life after death. No, no, not life after death. Um, whatever, whatever the album's called with the baby, they put that as number one. And I was like, Biggie's Biggie's music. He's got like a few hits that are obviously mm-hmm. amazing, but his albums age like shit. Mm. Like all of them. 
Oh, yeah. And also another point here is that this is when Hamilton himself is still like he's not as much of a pompous, you know, asshole as he eventually becomes. He still is like coherent about how he does he can be extra here but because hamilton is surrounded by like-minded people like lawrence mulligan and lafayette that gaslight gas him up that's why he becomes so dogmatic and static you know so pompous later on that's so interesting i wonder why i mean i he said it in some interview right of why he decided to tell the story of hamilton of all things yeah, he read a book. He read a he read a book about it. Ron Chernow's biography from like the early two thousands on a trip to uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And actually, this part here is where Hamilton really does reflect on his morals. The uh, hurricane that destroyed his island and left him and left them with nothing is why he acts this way. That's what an "I Want" song does, though. It tells you why the character is the way they are and what they want. And. Also, Hamilton's rapping like big pun as well. It's also like how his rapping style is based off of. You know, it's so funny. I feel like he's rapping a little too fast for me to even understand what's happening. And then you like trying to elaborate over it while he's rapping. I'm so like, uh, I probably still wouldn't have got it <laughs> either way. But you now explaining it to me. Oh, that's fine. Don't worry. That's what the discussion is going to be for. And also Burr's, you know, earlier Burr tries to check these guys. He's constantly trying to keep Hamilton in check. Like, you know, dude, look, keep your thoughts close to your chest. Don't keep on asserting it. And it was a reference to an old song um, called South Pacific, which actually talked about racism. And Burr is trying to heat them to calm down, but obviously Hamilton doesn't listen to Burr, and that slowly but surely turns them against each other. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of clapping during live performances. <laughs> Maybe that's oh. just me. I never clap. Oh, this is. <laughs> well, that's this, this was live recorded, so they can't control the audience. Well, reaction. I know, I know that, but like for me personally, maybe it's because I'm just I've never been into concerts, like going to like live performances and concerts, and I feel like. I don't know. I've seen some of my favorite artists live, but I felt like I would have had a better time just listening to their album by myself. <laughs> mm. And this is story. Actually, this song right here, story of tonight is what convinced Leslie Odom Jr. To join the main cast. Who's that? Leslie Odom Jr. The guy that plays Burr. Hmm. And who's that? <laughs> which, which one is that? <laughs> the one that Hamilton was talking to, like he's the guy that introduced the play. The uh, one that oh, the okay. first guy you see, that is Burr. He is Hamilton's frenemy. And also, this song, Story of Tonight, becomes a motif throughout the musical. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Darby told me. But it also shows just how misguided these guys are. Real niggas don't die, they multiply. 
Is that the guy from In the Heights? Yeah, that, yeah him. Lawrence, that is him. Yeah. Right. What a weird movie that was. <laughs> that is a that is a pure musical film. Yes. Yeah, I'm not oh, a definitely. That I'm not a fan of some of the choices they made, but it is what it, you know, that is, you know, a music, a golden age Hollywood movie. Yeah. Yeah. Also, this song's get that gets darker as well. See, that is Burr. Oh, yeah. 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 And okay, here's the funny thing this song was co created with by Beyonce and Jay Z. They helped write the song and produce mm-hmm. it. The Skylar Sisters. And also, they're introduced in the in the in the um in their uh, the way they died. You know, I always felt that it doesn't really matter who writes it; it's just as long as how it's performed. Oh yeah, uh, oh, most definitely. Because I don't know, for me, like it doesn't really add much credibility to me for Beyonce oh, yeah. writing it oh. or. Oh yeah, this, these are just, whoever. Just, this is really just trivia, you know, that I'm just throwing out. And also, yeah, you know, um, this also becomes a light motif for Angelica, you know, the black sister, and Eliza, the Philippa uh, suit and the green dress, the Chinese sister. Is the black which which black one? Because there's two, um, right? The dark skinned one, Angelica, Renee Elise Goldsberry, the one in the red dress. Okay, gotcha. Her, yeah. She's actually a pretty tragic character. I've been told this. <laughs> and then there's Burr trying to flirt with her. And his whole scheme is like taken directly from a song called Love and Spoonful. Perfume smells like your dad has money. Perfume was a sign of wealth back in those days. And Jay Z wrote that. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> oh man, I still haven't listened to Reasonable Doubt. I have not listened to that album in full. And also, Common Sense was a pro for those who don't know was a pro rebellion book that was really, really popular during this time that inspired the American Revolution. All right. I guess that's another thing I can definitely talk about at the end. Uh, appreciation for this movie or play technically a, a movie uh, is that it, it creates a conversation about American oh. history. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It mo- I would I, I would like to believe most of the conversation that starts is who the hell is Hamilton? And then it goes into <laughs> the rest of the stuff. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is that, like, before 2014, no one knew who Hamilton was. His only, no one knew who Elmer Burr was. He was only popular because of a Michael Bay Got Milk commercial. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's American history for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say, everyone and everyone on this play is very talented oh yeah this guy's from high school musical unironically uh, he, he wasn't uh, a main character yeah okay i was gonna say <laughs> i was like i'm trying to put a face to it 
Yeah, and this song kind of shows the growing discontent between the loyalist and the colony. And Hamilton is about to basically rap over this guy's like little speech and outdo him. And fun fact, this was written by Joel Joel Ortiz. He helped with this song. And uh, what Hamilton's about to do here is what we call a patter in musical theater. And we're going to talk about that in their interlude, what that is. Also, this just really shows what Hamilton, the character's main strength is. He has a way with words, which allows him to kind of out talk most people at this point in the play because he's a motor mouth. And again, this is showing the dichotomy between Hamilton and Burr. He's trying to stop my dude, stop. And he's like, nah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not getting any of that. <laughs> just well, we to, just, I was just I was just seeing just two people just talking. Well, that's because we're kind of mainly talking. And this is you'll be back. We're kind of talking over this stuff. But that's cool with me because I know this is like the back of my hand already. And that's Jonathan Groff. And this song is actually like inspired by um, I'll get by with a little help from my friends by the Beatles. Oh, my God. I'm going to talk about the Beatles. Most overrated band ever. Some hot takes there. But yeah, I I know some people who share your sentiments. My friend Corey from Double Toasted. And also this whole song is just written like a breakup song. And Jonathan Groff is going to start spitting. Yeah, Beatles are overrated. I, I, I don't think I can name a single Beatles song. Oh man, I'm actually a pretty distant, like a little over my friend, um, Octopus's Garden. <laughs> I kind of was raised on the, I, I listened to the Beatles a lot when I was little, thanks mm-hmm. to the Muppets. Mm. Also, like, even still, you kind of see this, this whole, like, the King's melody is one of the few melodies that never changes, which shows just how rigid he is compared to the, um, to the Rebels. You know, Hamilton and company. Right. That crown, though, I've, I've felt that crown. It's heavy as hell. It's hard to walk around in that, actually. I bet. So does does theater still obviously theater exists right and Broadway oh, yeah, is yeah. still a thing and all this stuff oh, but yeah yeah I I always felt that and and obviously you can correct me because I'm I'm not in it, the uh, culture of it but I always felt that theater is very uh, non-existent oh um oh no it very it very much is in fact a lot of popular media 
is inspired directly by Broadway and theater, like stuff that we have, like it, we see in movies and in pop culture comes directly from Broadway. Well, I get that. I understand yeah. that. There's still stuff referenced. There's still movies being made of like uh, oh. all that stuff. But I'm saying like actually seeing plays, like people leaving their house to go see a play. Oh, yeah. They released the Broadway um, financial returns like they're at an all time high since post COVID. Like people go out of their way to go see these plays. I'm saying, but that's Broadway. I'm I'm saying like just anywhere else. Yeah, like yeah, that's what I mean. Like not just on Broadway, New York, but just like Broadway productions that happen to be in town in general. Like yeah, okay. Da 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 da. da. There's Ariana Debose back there. The I'm going to talk about her later. Beyonce literally um, was so jealous of the King's walk that she literally said that she kind of stole it um, from Jonathan Groff because she was so infatuated with his walk. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's some out there trivia. Now, up next is Right Hand Man. This is where we get introduced to Washington audience. That's right. Washington. And this this song was Right Hand Man, right? I always felt that, I don't know, like just the whole, this is another thing that kind of took me out uh, out of the the thing as well, like just American history. That character that just died, Ariana DeBose, who just got shot, she's going to come back as the bullet. And that bullet is a signature sign of death. Whenever she pops up, that is a sign that death is imminent. Right. I think Darby told me that too. Yeah, she recently won an Oscar, Ariana DeBose, and for her performance as Anita in West Side Story. Um, that's cool. I don't really think the Oscars are worth anything, really, though. Nah, but hey, man, for a star, that is it. That basically means you're just gonna be in everything now. Well, if we could, you can actually say once you win an Oscar, that's when your career kind of ends. <laughs> There's definitely that discussion of it. Um, yeah. Um, also, yeah. Most for those who don't know, most deaf wrote this song. Of oh, yes, that most deaf. He actually performs this as well on the Hamilton mixtape. Okay, that sounds awesome. I love most deaf. Yeah, and um, the this little thing is uh, his. This little lyrical, like the 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 music here is a lot to Eminem's "Lose Yourself." That's a reference to Gilbert and Sullivan. I know you don't know what that is, but it's an old like theater theater guys. And this also sets up Hamilton's, I mean, uh, Washington's motif, guys, of being the older kind of wiser figure of the play. Now, I always have a fear of like being teleported into a play right while it's happening and I'm in costume and I'm just trying to just keep up what everyone's doing and not knowing what I'm doing. For some reason that oh, terrifies me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's understandable. And also, like this shows. Well, I'm just gonna. This is gonna happen anyways. Anyways, this shows that Hamilton's reputation is starting to grow, and Burr's Burr's reputation is staying stagnant because he doesn't take a stand for anything. Burr never goes for anything that might put him in a bad position. Yeah, I remember at this point, I was fully just out of it, just watching it. 
I wonder why American history though. Uh, Hamilton was um partially well. I will get into this later. It's because Hamilton was also partially inspired by 1776, which was a um Broadway play. Well, it's not one of the first, but it was one of the Broadway plays which featured a quote unquote modern interpretation of the founding fathers that came out in the 1960s. I don't know if you've ever seen uh at Boy Meets World. The but, show. Uh, yeah, the show. Yeah, I love his it. teacher. His teacher played John Adams in seventy seventy six. Interesting. Yeah, but I still wonder why why America why American history. That's well. I mean, I mean, you can make it about whatever, but I feel like I don't know. For me, for the way this film just introduced itself, like with the hip hop, that seemed very. Again, it's it's supposed to be over the top. I know that's supposed to be theater. Yeah. But it, it seemed just very, uh, I don't know, blackface to me. And then oh, the no. fact- oh, we're going to get into that, but nah, yeah. no, who? Yeah. No, 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 no. That is not. I have seen my fair, uh, my fair share of minstrel shows for research. I'm a big animation fan. There is nothing in here that correlates to minstrel shows. And there is a specific reason why, which we're going to get into um, later, but there is a very specific reason why. But the reason why it's based on America is just because, again, that's where the setting of the biography is. Like all this stuff yeah. takes place in, you know, the states. And I get what you're trying to say, but we're going to have that conversation real soon. That is true. He Hamilton is just trying to kill himself to make a statement. Also, that's Chris Jackson as well, one of Lin Manuel's like friend from West from high school. Mm -hmm. And this is where Hamilton becomes Washington's aide. Also, that boom just comes from, uh, I believe, Busta Rhymes scenario. And I know that just because I love that song so much. I don't think I've heard. Oh, maybe I've heard of it. I, I don't from think I tri- can name it. From a tribe, yeah, from a tribe called Quest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like a tribe called Quest. I'm not too familiar with their discography, though. Just like oh, I, the hits. <laughs> oh, I love them, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're great, but. Oh, yeah. And that's next another up room is- I got to get into. Next up is Winter's Ball, which is a song about basically the meeting between Hamilton and Eliza. Also, you see here the way Burr introduces Hamilton. You're seeing that he's slowly starting to see Hamilton as a rival, but not as an enemy yet. Oh, I can hear your movie. <laughs> oh, sorry. I have it by my mic. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, you use like headphones and that's how you can like mute the sound for it. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I have a headphone. I'm using an actual mic for this. 
Okay. Um, but yeah, my phone. I'm watching on my phone. Oh hey, oh here comes Helpless, which was unironically co-written by co-written by Solange, Beyonce's sister. She actually does like a lot of writing for her sister, which is kind of weird. It's not weird at all. Everyone writes for Beyonce. <laughs> oh yeah, but like I feel like some of Beyonce's best songs come from Solange or her most well-known ones. Now, the another thing I want to say about this is that this again is an evolving melody that you hear throughout the play. You know, Eliza here, she's helplessly in love with Hamilton and she, you know, but eventually it changes from her being helplessly in love to feeling absolutely helpless during the Reynolds pamphlet when he cheats and fucks o- and fucks over her. Right. And Philippa Sue is so great, you know, got to meet her. She was an and she was like really small before this play, you know, um, before this play happened. She was in some productions, but never really took off too much. I would imagine it's very difficult for theater uh, actors to make a name for for themselves. I mean, it depends on what you're a part of, unfortunately. And um, sometimes some ideas just don't really land. But yeah, we're going to talk about that. And also another thing about Helpless is that this is another song. This is the first song that plays with perspective. You're seeing this event through Eliza's eyes when she first meets Hamilton at the Winter Ball. And Mm -hmm. it leads into their marriage. But the next song is going to completely flip the script and show what it's like through her sister's eyes. And that's like really cool. That doesn't happen on Broadway a lot at all. And by the way, if you're wondering where the other sister is, Peggy, Peggy dies like before this happens in history. So Peggy, the younger sister, the one in the yellow dress that comes back later as a different character, she's already dead. Or actually, no, there she is. I thought she died off. It's been a minute since I saw this. Liar. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, I'm like, oh, man, I was writing my notes. I'm like, I should have put that down. But here she is. And yeah. But yeah, this is weird in real life. Uh the black sister Angelica in real life, historically she uh, was even despite though she was married, it's she, she seems to have kind of messed around with Hamilton, you know, uh, in real life behind her sister evidence suggests. I would feel like that's all they used to do back then. (laughs) Oh yeah. The masses are asses. I mean, hell, I mean, back in the Roman days, it was fair game for everybody. Didn't matter what gender you were. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Also, like, Lynn's voice here channels Ja Rule, of all people, when he talks to Eliza near the end. I, poor Ja Rule. Doing noodle Wait, this, this, this channels Ja Rule? No, not this. It's a specific part at the end. Okay. Like, I'm I'm definitely gonna listen listen out for that. That part mm. that could be anybody. <laughs> I'm only going off of what he said in the Hamilton Revolution, <laughs> and Ja Rule even like, like yeah yeah man that's a definitely me. I'm like okay all right. I was just that's, that's what it said in the book. That's bullshit. He could literally say he was ripping off Big Daddy Kane, and anyone would agree to it. Speaking of Ja Rule, Ja Rule's actually on this track. He performs this part in the play. I mean, in the, in the mixtape. And this is Satisfied. 
like I said, this tells the, pers- the same events, but through Angelica's <laughs> point of view. Mm-hmm. Also, Carl, I didn't know you were a Ja Rule fan. Uh, who wasn't in the early 2000s? Yeah, he That's, was everywhere. I mean, he's literally, I think, just like a person. Uh, that's a good way to say it. There, there are certain people in hip hop that were just like, they were just there just to be hit makers. From like LL Cool J making. Oh, I love, I love LL Cool J. Yeah, from like, but making hits that are like, um, and maybe, maybe like the newer audience might not know about LL Cool J and Ja Rule, but they're basically. Pillars, what, pillars of hip hop. What I was gonna say, they're basically what Drake is now. Or you yeah. know, there would be no Drake without an L O Cool J, or especially oh, yeah. without a, a Ja Rule. So What's yeah, love? got to do, got to do with it, baby. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you, you can't even be a fan of hip hop without without listening to, uh, without listening to Ja Rule back in the day. Ja Rule or Ashanti because they were a duo. Yeah. And they're both in this play. I mean, a, a mix. They both were in the mixtape of this because Hamilton was supposed to be a concept album. It wasn't going to be a musical initially. Mm. And also, this entire point, like her, like Angelica's rapping scheme is based. Well, not now, but it's based off of Nicki Minaj's. I forgot what specific song. I didn't write it down, but I just wrote that down in my notes. So what? Oh, basics. There it is. So what genre would you say this is? It is a show tune. The Hamilton is considered a show tune. All Broadway musicals are considered show tunes. And what that means is, I'm going to expand off of that. The reason why show tunes are in their own genre is because they can't really be classified. Because show tunes are literally an amalgamation of several different styles blended together. So why, don't, so why not just call it alternative? Because it doesn't exactly like, again, it doesn't exactly fit. The best analogy I can give, it's like comparing a hyena to a dog. Hyena and dogs have some vague similarities with each other, but they're ultimately not related. Hyenas are in their own little category. So what Mm. we have here is opera. It's opera, folk. like, And I'm going to talk about this later, but Broadway or show tunes are built on um, musical vernacular. Which right. means that every time there's a new genre of music, it gets incorporated into the genre and becomes a pillar of Broadway. And people hear them like, oh, shit, I like that. I want to make something like that. So people go and they make these men, they make musicals and they're reusing these genres without sometimes even noticing it <clears throat> because they just hear it. And they're like, yeah, I want to do that. And it, that when that becomes popular and it resonates with people, that becomes another pillar. And the show tunes have to adhere to that style. That's the thing about Broadway that some people don't like is that um, it does have to adhere to a certain cadence because they have not only have to dance to this, but there are certain things that they also have to adhere to. So when I, right. if I want to make a rap, I want to make a rap musical, it's not going to be like contemporary rap. Like it's not going to be like Young Thug or Kendrick Lamar. It's going to be rap mixed in with opera, mixed in with folk mixed in with jazz, mixed in with rock, mixed in with all these other stuff that it's like, hey, that sounds kind of vaguely similar to rap, but it doesn't sound exactly like the real thing. And to an outsider looking in, because I've talked to people like this, though it sounds like it's diluted, but it's not that it's diluted. It's that it's being bunded together with all these other genres that are a part of the show tune vibe. I and get that's why- that. I get that. But then at that point, it's not rap anymore <laughs> if, if you do that. 
But my thing is, it still is. It's just theatrical. The same way that Jesus Christ Superstar is still rock. It's just theatrical. And that's why it's in its own little genre. And like uh, I said, that's why that sound, it's hard to explain to people who aren't in it. And I get that, but we're going to talk about it. But speaking for Angelica, she's very tragic because despite being just as ambitious as the men, she has to adhere to the societal expectations. She's bounded by that shit, so she can't really rise up from it. But despite that, she is defined by her sisterhood. She's a pillar for Eliza. She's there for her more than her own husband, actually. Right. Yeah, I got that sense. Yeah. Watching it. And also, Satisfy goes from being um, being unfulfilled and it, it, you know, represents this, but it also represents the dueling that comes up, the satisfaction of like appealing to your pride. So I'm like, this all this is also a motif that morphs. But yeah, we'll get into it. And I know what I what I said about the show tune sounds silly, but that's why I use the hyena to dog analogy. It sounds confusing, but that's literally how it works. No, I get that analogy, but I think anyone, especially me, who's not very, I guess, um, maybe educated in, in the sense of knowing different the, animal breeds, I'm just going to yeah. classify it as not rap. <laughs> well, my is, again, it still is. It's just theatrical. And that sounds weird, but that's what it is. No, I get it's, that. <clears throat> And yeah, it's not contemporary. No, it sounds vaguely similar to the thing, but it's not exactly related. Hamilton is more related to Rent or Cats or Music Man than it is to Kendrick Lamar, Ludacris, or Young Thug. Now that I can definitely agree with, because if something sounds like a certain thing, especially if it's just popular, then you just name it pop. Oh, and this is the reprise of uh, Story of Tonight. And also, it's, again, foreshadowing that Lawrence dies because he says, I may not live to see our glory. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, there's Burr again, and Hamilton's friends don't like Burr because they feel like he's bougie and acts like he's above it all, which is why he never interacts with them. Hmm. I'm still waiting for my brother to watch this. I told him I told him to watch at least the first ten minutes and tell 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 me what he what uh what he thinks about it. Uh, this is also important because this sets up another contrast between Hamilton and Burr. At this point, Hamilton is married and it's public, while Burr is having a secret relationship with the wife of a British officer. So again, Hamilton is out and out in the open, and Burr is still staying in the shadows. Just kind of waiting for it. Hey, some people creep. Yeah. 
which is funny because uh, they're going to switch places in a, not too long after. And this, again, this is Burr's song, Wait For It, which was written, you know, co-written by Usher. He actually sings this on the Hamilton mixtape. Mm. I'm surprised they didn't get TLC to perform Creep or something for this for this production. <laughs> or to write man, something. Man, it would have been sick. But um, this song, basically, for those in the audience, explains why Burr acts the way he does. And it's basically because Burr lost everything. He was a true orphan. His parents died to an illness. And he was raised by his uncle. So that taught Burr, you know what? I've lost everything. I've, I've lost everything. So I'm just going to live like everybody. So his thing is, I'm going to live life cautiously because I, I know I don't want to lose everything. I have too much to, you know, I want I can control myself. That's the one thing in life I can control. So I am going to um, keep myself in check and wait to see where the wind blows. Basically. But sleeping Hamilton, with others? Um, no, like um, Burr and Hamilton, um, again, Burr went for that. But the thing is, is that Burr and Hamilton are really similar, but they come to different conclusions. Hamilton's thing is I'm going to try to overwrite myself because I don't want to be seen as someone lesser. But Burr's thing is I rather wait to see where things are before I take a stance on something. And he is like that, like throughout the play. You know, it's almost very similar to how kind of you and Darby's relationship or, you know, was regarding Hamilton. That's basically Burr. Hmm. And on top of that, um, but while he's meditating on this, he acknowledges, you know, Hamilton. Hamilton is always making gains, but I, he doesn't agree with the way Hamilton is doing it. And even though he's kind of like, man, I wish I could do that, but I don't think it fits me. I'm going to just stay and wait to see how things pan out. But because he does that, he keeps missing out on stuff and he doesn't go anywhere. And the funny thing is, is that they slowly begin to rub off on each other, but like in the worst ways. Hmm. And also the sinners and the saints thing is bought up here again. How death doesn't, it doesn't matter what, where you align. Death is the great equalizer. Yeah. So what the great Cole Phelps said on LA Noir, doesn't matter how you go once you're gone. Yeah. And that's what this is saying essentially. And you also see it because usually the cast, the ensemble is dancing around, but here they're sitting down to represent Burr's ideology of just waiting. Also, next is Stay Alive. Mm -hmm. And this song focuses just on the hardship, you know, for the fans as well. It's just about the hardship of the revolution and the war and all the shit that they're going through. The bullet is going to pop up again. And I don't have many notes on this song, actually. Just, I think, two. 
Chipla. <laughs> you know, I still haven't seen that movie Mona. I mean, I, I seen like I think I saw like the beginning of it, and I was bored out my mind. Oh, I guess Milana? Another... Yeah, Milana. See, I keep calling it Mona. It sounds like that, but yeah, it's Moana, and I I really liked it. But there is one, there is a, it does have a few problems. I do not like, I do not care for Maui. It does that thing where it tells you, but it doesn't show, and then expects you to run with. It. I'm like, nah, I'm like no, that's not. This is a visual based medium. Show me what you're talking about. It kind of does that a lot. Yeah, that's definitely going to be watched on the podcast because I have no desire to watch that movie. Oh, and this is Charles Lee, who basically caused, you know, the Amer- the revolution, the American troops to retreat constantly. And this uh, that's played by John Rua. And basically the whole point of Lee is that he is the he causes Hamilton and Lawrence to challenge him to a duel, which leads to the Ten Duel Commandments. And I have a lot more notes on that song. But, yeah, that's John Rua. He's a really nice guy. I met him. Hmm. Funny enough, John um, Anthony Ramos, the guy Lawrence was actually like nineteen or eighteen when he was in this. Who the youngest? John um, Anthony Ramos, the guy who played Usnavi from In the Heights. So this and, guy, yeah, John Lawrence, he the one okay. with the ponytail. Yeah, like, talking to Lemon Low. Yeah, he was a teenager when this when he was in this. Okay, here's the Ten Duel Commandments, which, like I said, obviously is inspired by the Ten Crack Commandments. Um, by Biggie. Never and, would have uh, guessed that. <laughs> it's literally in the, have you heard that song? No, I have, but it's just like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have watched this and be like the 10 dual commandments, by the way, inspired by the 10 crack. Commandment. Yeah, it's literally in the one, two by where, you know, Chuck D um, from put them down reference. But anyways, it's a reference to that, but also, the thing is, is that this song becomes a motif throughout the play. And like the King's thing, it never changes, unlike the others. And there's a reason for that. The whole point is, is that this song never changes because it's a rigid structure that represents death. It's very upbeat from a musical standpoint to make it sound like, oh, this is exciting. But no, it's murder. And None of the characters realize that because they're too obsessed with their egos and dick measuring that they don't realize what they're actually doing until it's already said and done. Like mm. even here, Hamilton Burr's like Hamilton dueling is stupid. And Hamilton's like, nah, but your boy has to answer for what he said. And unironically, this foreshadows what happens between them at the end of the play. The more I listen to this, this sounds like a, a, a really bad logic album. Um, I have I I don't know about that <laughs> personally. I I would disagree. I think um I think like I said, Carlin, I think the issue with like a lot of what your former play, which we're gonna get into, your former critique, is that as a guy from the outside looking in who doesn't really know much about theater right. and has barely been exposed to theater, like I said, you've only been exposed to a whooping out, not counting this one, a whooping two musicals out of the right. hundreds hundreds that exist mm-hmm. your opinion 
what you're throwing out is kind of bare assertions, which I understand that. This is a fast-paced play. This is usually how most musicals are. But like yeah. your a lot of the critiques are not really based in anything. They're not really based on what the play or the narrative or the themes are saying. It's basically just kind of spitballing based on how you feel. And I think that's the that's one of the issues with the last play, with the last review, excuse me. And uh, but we're gonna get into that though. And this song is Meet Me Inside. And this basically just uh this basically just shows off, you know, how Hamilton's arrogance has finally gotten him into trouble with Washington. And we see just how, and we really start to see um the how Hamilton ultimately has daddy issues, and that's why he kind of acts the way he does. Also, meet me inside. DMX also assisted with that as well. I bet. Did Bobby Brown help on this album too? No. That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just saying. Every time you tell me who exists assisted on it, I'm just going to say another random artist assisted on it as well. Well, this is mainly for the the fans as well. For people, I get that. But, oh, absolutely. Um, I get that. But, yeah. but that's what it sounds like. <laughs> um, it does, Carlin. But like I said, again, um, and this is uh, this is also uh, um, we're talking through this, but that, that would be enough. This is basically where we find out um, Eliza is pregnant. And she tries to convince Hamilton that essentially his fam their family is his legacy he doesn't need to prove himself anymore but hamilton doesn't really heed her advice he kind of pushes her away and tries to argue that he still has much a lot more he needs to prove Hmm. and this whole thing gets referenced later and it's quiet uptown but yeah i can already tell that um, after the interview starts we're going to have some a really interesting um, conversation this is an intro still no, no, no. Once the interlude happens, that's after oh, the act one. That's right. Actually, we're about to get to the interlude. We just have three more. Well, actually, a few more songs. No, <laughs> that's right. You, you did tell me this is about her telling him he's pregnant. I completely zoned out through all of that. 
That's because we were talking over most well, of it. Well, sure, that part, but even towards the last part, it was just just them just singing. Or well, just her just me, singing. Yeah, that's what it was inferring. Like, And this is Guns and Ships. And again, mainly Lafayette, the French guy. Um, this shows how his English has really improved. Um, because he went from having an over-the-top French accent to being able to speak and rap. Well, it's a patter song in perfect English. And also, this is actually one of the fastest songs on Broadway with how fast the pace is. Cool. <laughs> you know what? That's so fun. I just watched... Um... I guess it was a little video essay on YouTube. They're talking about like, I guess white rappers, or I guess it's called like the Eminem effect on how he kind of left this shadow of just white rappers coming after him. And all they do is just rap fast and how just like the hip hop community are just so tired of that kind of music. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. I actually follow guys who are really big fans of uh, Eminem. And their I forgot uh, their uh, script work, but basically, mm -hmm. oh, I love him. Oh yeah, I, I do too. But Lawrence is basically convincing Washington here, everyone, to look. We need Hamilton. He's a really good guy, and I work well with him. So Washington, go get him back. Is what what Lafayette told Washington, and he can he yields and goes and tells him to come back to the war, which is ultimately uh, proves to be a mistake later on. <laughs> and this is history has its eyes on you and this is kind of where he burst hamilton's bubble because at this point hamilton is still idealistic and believes that you know he doesn't care if he dies so long as he carves out a niche for himself and Washington basically dispels all of that and kind of tells them the cold reality that, look, it doesn't matter what you try to do, how you try to fix yourself up. You don't have any control over how people perceive you. Right. Like, that's just something you have to live with. But he does. It doesn't. He doesn't. It does. He doesn't really listen to it here. And also the story of the night where they were singing around and drunk where they're talking about, yeah, we're going to do this. It's like, no, you don't control how history views you. Like, you just don't automatically get to make yourself the good guy and expect that people are going to view you as such years from now. That's not that's out of your hands. <clears throat> All right. Hmm. That comes the bottom back in the ass, like a little, a few numbers on down the line. <clears throat> I 
and this is the Battle of Yorktown, and this is basically the number where Hamilton and and his and his friends essentially prove themselves in the war and essentially win the war on independence. And this part right here, this whole part and the idea of Hamilton as an immigrant along Lafayette was made as a rebuttal to a lot of anti-immigrant sentiments that were going on at the time. This is like in 2015, where they were basically trying to shit on immigrants. I'm sure you've heard the stereotypes, Carlin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Immigrants steal jobs and all that stuff and make the country worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this crowd is like really involved into it that they cat on to that. Yeah, you've never been to I well, obviously you that's how it is in theater. If you have a lot of energy, the crowd it's like wrestling, the crowd will abide with you. you they will cheer, they will get into it. But if you don't have low energy and you're not and you're not good at like again being bombastic and animated, you're not gonna you're gonna get a dead crowd. Yeah, it's another reason why I try to stay away from live concerts. <laughs> My energy is just like, I'm just so focused. Or maybe it depends on what it is, but I'm not like jumping and hollering and cheering. I'm just like so focused. A best best way to ex- explain it, like if I go to like a like an NBA game or whatever, mm. like a sporting event, yeah, never do I cheer. <laughs> I'm just like so <laughs> focused and watching my favorite player perform. Yeah, I mean, some people are like that. I used to be like that when I was younger, but I kind of like outgrew it after mm-hmm. I started performing. And also, like here, Hamilton talks about his fear of death coming up, where, you know, he says he imagines death so much again, like he said in my shot. And I think it really shows at this point how Hamilton is still motivated by um, how Hamilton is still motivated by what happened to him when he was a kid and how that hurricane really fucked up his life. I better hush it with the language. Don't want to get demonetized on YouTube when this comes out on it. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, all right, then. And also, Lawrence here, because he was fighting with the first Black Britannian, him and Hamilton were fighting to basically use this as a way to get um, to free, you know, these slaves that were a part of the war. And after the war is over, they wonder, like, does this mean freedom? And Washington kind of breaking the fourth wall here. He says not yet because no, it doesn't end it. And it continues like years, eons after this. So, but that also, again, foreshadows that Lawrence is going to die and his dream doesn't come true. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I guess that's why I'm trying to still think about why is this story. I guess the story is just being told just for the sake of it. Not necessarily just historical con- context. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into this. I'm again, I'm like, you know, I'm focusing on the play, but we'll get into that. But this is this is a broad. This is um nothing new when it comes to Broadway. Like modern reinterpretations of historical figures are have been a thing in Broadway and theater since the Shakespearean. Oh, yeah. But like again, you have seventy seventy six, and before this, if you can believe it. You had a bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson musical, which basically reimagined Andrew Jackson and his posse as like these uh, very emo My Chemical Romance types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buster Rhymes, Mox That Art. There we go. And after this is what comes next. 
This is a reprise, everyone, of You'll Be Back, where King George taunts the USA, saying you may have won, but ruling is a lot harder than you might think it is. And yeah, for more reasons than one, he gets vindicated because of that. Vindicated. Best Spider-Man 2 soundtrack ever. And nothing more sweeter. I feel this way every time I play Civ 6. (laughs) Whenever I lose a freaking country and loyalty... I was like, all right, don't don't be coming back. And then I'll just capture you again later. <laughs> yeah, screw you guys, I have power. Yeah. And after this is Dear Theodosia, which uh, it's a sweet song, but I do feel like it has gained a bit of an awkward reputation over the years. What so song? Think, this, this song? Yeah, yeah, Dear Theodosia. It basically shows Hamilton and Burr's lives as fathers, basically. And how they approach the idea of fatherhood. Mm. And, in Hamilton, and in Hamilton case, how he unfortunately ends up fucking over Philip later on. Wow. Is that a reference to what Chamberlain? Um, That's no. a joke. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 no. <laughs> he oh, has sorry, like Carl. 50 unclaimed children. Oh, um, uh, well, what I mean by that is that Hamilton's personality begins to rub off on Philip, and that ultimately ends up getting him killed later. And, uh, but yeah, this is the first insight we get to Burr as well on a personal level. I should have said Nick Cannon instead of Will Chamberlain. That's definitely more relevant. Nick Cannon is a mess. Also, just this is one of the moments that shows Hamilton never actually sings in the play. He's always rapping and using patter songs. And he only sings when he's in a very vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the more personal moments for Hamilton where he is talking to Philip and how he says, I never had a dad. So what I'm going to do is, you know, I'm going to try to be there for you. But unfortunately, as we see, he's not there for Philip.
Also, this sets up blows us all away. They keep saying that that is going to eventually become a motif and a song later. I remember actually performing this song um, with a friend during a theater night once. Hmm. And also, this is Tomorrow There'll Be More of Us. This is where we find out Lawrence dies. Right. The the uh, the kid no, from In the know. Heights. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say the sister. No, that's not yeah, who that is. John Lawrence, but yeah, this is where John Lawrence dies. And this is where the whole, the story of tonight takes a darker meaning because before it was this very idealistic, yeah, we're going to do this, but Lawrence dies here. So his dream dies with him. And that means he's just a memory. He wasn't able to accomplish what he wanted to do. And his death is what pushes Hamilton in order, you know, pushes Hamilton to the extreme to start prioritizing his ambitions over everything else because of that whole death motif. Hmm. Yay. <laughs> Also, this is a nice reference to Lay Miz, too, because a character in that also passes away in the exact same way. This is nonstop, and this is the Act One finale, where we see Hamilton rise from being a lawyer to Washington's Secretary of State. And like, you know, this is also where we start to see the darker side of Hamilton's political affairs, where he starts attacking anybody who disagrees with them and starts discrediting them. Yeah, and really, this is where Hamilton starts, like, you know, putting himself before others. He already did that, but now he's going to go all in on that times 100. And it's it gets it gets really it really gets egregious. And even here where Hamilton and Burr are lawyers, you really start to see just how different they are, how Burr is trying to kind of collectively assert himself. And Hamilton keeps interrupting everybody to argue the opposite. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, they're about to start talking about the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, excuse me. Mm. And Burr says he doesn't want anything to do with it. Makes sense. And, you know, he's like, Burr, I don't understand you. And Burr's like, nah, I'm not going to bet on something. You don't know how this is going to turn out. This could this could be disastrous, is what Burr is saying. Wait for it, wait for it, wait. Hmm. And honestly, you know, Burr's ideology is what keeps screwing him over and stagnates his growth. And this is Angelica. She's about to go off and get married to... um this is funny like his name is james charles historically that's the guy's name hmm? uh, james charles church i think mm. <clears throat> hmm. and this part is where all of the motifs that we've heard up until now come together to create this big symphony, which kind of represent the dueling thoughts in Hamilton's heads. He gets pulled in all these different directions, but ultimately decides to just do his own thing. Much to everyone's detriment. Hamilton. Yeah, I've always heard about Hamilton in school. I only heard about Hamilton once, and it was briefly missing, mentioning that he was a Secretary of State and that Aaron Burr killed him in a duel. That's it. Right. I, I think I only thing I remember is he had something to do with the Declaration of Independence. That's about he was, it. He was basically unknown, really, well, to the masses until this happened. Mm hmm. <clears throat> That's really when people started digging into who Hamilton is. Let's research him after we just heard him sing. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy, but media does that, man. I mean, unfortunately, so many superhero comic book characters get found out the exact same way, not through their comics, but through the movies. Yeah, I mean, you're telling me freaking look at um, look at Deadpool, Moon Knight. Yeah. I've been reading I've been reading Deadpool and Moon Knight forever since since those uh I guess since before they came popular. But everyone I, I feel like everything needs uh some form of media to kind of push it forward. Yeah, and that's very much how this is. Because I discovered Moon Knight and Deadpool through uh the Marvel Ultimate Alliance video games, not the comics. Yeah, I had those games as well. <clears throat> that got me interested in, uh, you know, and stuff. Oh, right. History has its eyes on you. 
the worst mistake he ever made. Oh, right. And that, I believe, is where the interlude happens. Ah, oh, thank God. <laughs> We're about to be reintroduced to David Diggs as Thomas Jefferson. Okay, cool. Nice little intermission. We had our own little intermission. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, actually the perfect, it's actually the perfect spot to have an intermission because um, it's funny, you know, um, reading this man uh, and looking at all the stuff, it runs right through. And uh, yeah. How long do intermissions normally last for, for productions like this? At least 30 yeah. minutes, right? It depends, though. It depends on the show and what needs to be done. But at the most I've seen it go for is like an hour and 40-something minutes. Wow. It's almost like a Bollywood. Bollywood movies, yeah, they definitely have intermissions. Mm-hmm. And actually, this, Hamilton and Jefferson going after each other is the reason we, you know, there are two political parties in the United States. They separated from each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is the beginning of the end for Hamilton, the character. This is where everything goes to shit for him. So one thing about Jefferson is that he's over here singing in jazz and everyone else is utilizing rapper, some, you know, typically or some main modern sort of music. And it's to use to illustrate how outdated Jefferson is and how he's kind of out of place in this new era. And yeah, there's uh, Mariano DeBose. And the irony here with Jefferson is that his thing is that he kind of and getting a little political here. Jefferson is supposed to be a caricature of what they call a bougie limousine liberal mm-hmm. where he's acting. You know, the types they act like they're so progressive and how they're so for the cause, but they actively support these oppressive systems that benefit them right. essentially. Because you see, he's bragging about being free-minded and being this and that while having the actors who are portraying slaves here essentially pushing him around. All right. Yeah, that's, that was everybody back then. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we still see this today. I'm not going to go into that, but we still see this today. And that is, yeah, James Madison.
fun fact is that there was a lot of cut content from this play. Hamilton and Madison were initially going to be friends, but become bitter rivals over time. Hmm. This is a weird song. Well, yeah, it's a jazz song, and it's supposed to be completely out of place. But, like, so much of musical theater is jazz. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. The This is definitely, like, the this song is definitely the black sheep out of everything else I've just heard. Yeah, and that's, like, intentional. And this is the first captain battle where Hamilton essentially gets his ass metaphorically kicked. Oops. Well, thank God. I, I thought I pushed something. So this entire song, you know, sets up the rival between rivalry between Hamilton and Jefferson. I don't know if they made it clear, but Jefferson is kind of the main antagonist of Act Two. And here he's basically trying to argue in favor of the elites and how Hamilton's system is going to completely rob the South of any goodwill and all of their hard earned money. That's right. This is the duo, right? Yeah, this is um a, this is what they call a limerick. <laughs> yeah, but it's being presented as a, a rap battle. But it's a lim it, historically this would have been considered a limerick. <laughs> and again, Hamilton's main thing is that he's been able to out talk everybody, but Jefferson is better. It's just kind of better at words than he is, and so he's backed into a corner. And he also calls out, you know, Jefferson saying you do all this stuff, but really all you're doing is just basically working off of the backs of slaves. And Jefferson just completely blows them off. And unironically, this is where he starts to lose his composure and basically loses the argument. Grandmaster Flash. Hmm. 
Virginians. Oh crap! I was saying this is unironically where Hamilton also just becomes a political sellout. Well, not yet, but he starts to betray his own morals and takes Burr's advice. Now, this, again, is the Ten Dual Commandments leitmotif coming back. But it's in France. They're counting up to ten. But they never actually reach it because Eliza and Philip here keep arguing on how they want to end the tempo of the nine. Philip keeps going to the eight, the high tempo, but Eliza keeps going downward. And there's a reason for this. It's because it foreshadows the fact that Philip, who's going to die, like, eventually... Never actually makes it to 10. He gets shot prematurely, thus ending his life. That's right. That's right. And unironically, Hamilton does something in theater that you're never supposed to do. He says Macbeth. And for those who don't know, saying Macbeth, bef- like when you're doing or before about you're about to do a production, is considered bat luck. Because saying Macbeth is, it's kind of a boogeyman story, but it's said to kind of ruin it'll ruin your production by saying the word macbeth yes because of the negative connotations associated with macbeth in theater it's a superstition but unironically here it's proven true because his life goes to shit after this and the whole point of this is that eliza's trying to show hamilton what he's missing. His son is slowly growing up and Hamilton isn't even there for him to kind of see it. And unironically, I remember um, I saw this. Uh, my friend actually saw this. Uh, saw, I think, uh, not this production, but the production in Houston live. Uh, so is this about like her wanting him? No, this is about her. This is about Eliza convincing Hamilton to take a break and come with her over to the summer so that he can relax. Because Hamilton's no. stressing himself out because he can't get his bill passed because Jefferson and Madison don't agree with it. Okay. But Completely Hamilton basically. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it's cool. You know, musical theater. I've had many debates about musical theater because it's all up into interpretation. No one sees something the same way. I guess it's the same way with film, I guess, as well. Oh, absolutely. My favorite movie, How to Grinch Slow Christmas. I've been telling people that movie is about 
a little girl named Cindy Lou Who who's been dead for over 20 years. Oh, that's that a pretty me. interesting. Yeah. Ouch. But yeah, that's what this is about. They're trying to convince Hamilton to take a break, and he doesn't. And uh, the yellow Cool J number basically comes after this, where he ends up sleeping with Maria Reynolds. Yeah, and this is Say No to This, where he ends up sleeping with Maria Reynolds, creating the very the first ever sex scandal in American history. First ever sex scandal? Well, I guess the most popularized one, I guess I should say. Hmm, uh, it's yeah. the one that... <laughs> and this is also the only song where Burr does not narrate, because he's the narrator of the play, that he lets Hamilton... St- tells it and there's a reason for that because the only reason we know what happened is because of hamilton's written documentation of the event oh i probably shouldn't talk about this but there was some drama recently about this Mm. not this but the actress the one in the red Yes. So her and Anthony Ramos, Lawrence or Philip Hamilton, they actually were engaged. And I don't know if you know that they were they were a couple for years. They were going to get married this year, but he ended up cheating on her right before the wedding. Hmm. What does that got to do with the play? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about Hamilton cheating, you know, kind of cheating on his wife. Right. And of course, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, why did you do that, man? And went all over TikTok. That's where that's the worst place you ever want to get caught on. This whole affair just historically is just so weird how all this all happened.
Fucking Christ. Oh, what happened? Let's check the score for the Tampa Bay game. They're like down five. It's like zero to five. Oh, geez. That's crazy. Damn. Oh, well. <laughs> Next to normal. My favorite song comes on after this, which is The Room Where It Happens. Can you turn your phone down a little bit? Sorry, I have it too close to the mic. That's fine. Yeah, you know, next time, normally how I do it is like, you know, you watch it on the on the computer. Oh, yeah. Um, I I was watching it on my phone because I have this huge mic. So I was like, uh, all right. But yeah, this is my chat. You know, chat. This is my favorite. One of my favorite songs from the play. This is Aaron Burr's I Want song. And this is also the point in the play where Hamilton and Burr completely flip. Hamilton becomes the one who plays the long who plays the long game and waits for stuff. And Burr is the one who goes after stuff. But even then, they're not doing it right. And this is basically talking about Burr's jealousy of not being able to be a part of these historical discussions that happen and how he wishes he could be in this position and how he deserves to be in this position. This is an I Want song at its finest. We just assume that it happens, but no one else was in the room where it happens. Also, this song, you know, is really hard to perform, you know, um, on Broadway, I've been told, mainly because you have to find that nice medium between keeping Burr, like, still kind of calm and cautious, but also expressing his desire and burning passion to finally be make a name for himself and be recognized as important. Hmm. We just assume that it happens. And again, this is also the song that plays with perspective the most because no one really knows historically what any what happened during this time. We can only base it off of what the characters are saying. But even then, people right. have bias, people have biased perceptions. So you don't even know like how something how someone meant to say something. And I think that's really cool. You don't usually see this a lot in theater either. 
Well, that's why I always say, believe nothing you hear and only half of what you see. Yeah, that's good advice. And also, this is where Hamilton, again, is a complete asshole to Burr um, later on. And essentially, Hamilton is essentially pushing Burr to become his ultimate opponent down the line. Because right after this, Burr ends up fucking over Hamilton. And this is when he realizes what he what he wants. And just the energy that Leslie Odom Jr. performs this. Like, he's a really good contrast to Lin Manuel just because of how different they are, not only on stage, but in real life in general. Because the funny thing is, is that uh in real life, they're actually the exact opposite of their characters. Leslie is the one who is very ambitious and goes for everything, while Lynn is kind of more of a wait for it kind of guy. Mm. We don't get a say in what they trade away. This is actually the first, they showed this in the very first trailer of Hamilton back in like 2016 as well, like of uh, this performance. And Tom Hanks was actually narrating over it, I remember. If you notice, that pose is the exact opposite of Hamilton's pose on the actual poster of the, of the film. That's right. I would not have noticed. <laughs> yeah, it's stuff that goes by. And you see the whole point of this point. This is um, Skylar defeated. Burr ends up beating out Hamilton's father-in-law and, Angelica, and Eliza and Angelica's father to become a part of the Senate. And Hamilton takes this as a personal slight, as if Burr is trying to insult him. And I'm like, Again, he's making everything about him, thinking that Burr is trying to embarrass him by kicking out his father-in-law. And Burr is like, this has nothing to do with you, man. I'm just taking your own advice. Why are you getting mad at me? Which is basically what this entire little exchange is about. Mm-hmm. And this is the cabinet battle number two, where essentially, thanks to Washington, Hamilton finally passes his financial bills. And if you don't know what that is, it's essentially the American 
cap, I guess, a bank system or I guess capitalism, I guess. Mm -hmm. Hamilton gets that pass because of Washington and that ends up pissing off Jefferson and the other, you know, and the other people are part of the cabinet. It is pretty messed up. Like, again, France helped the U.S. with their war of independence, but the U.S. won't return the favor when they need them the most against the British. Hmm. And this is Washington on your side, which was weirdly remixed by Carlin. Do you know who Wiz Khalifa is? Uh, Of course. Yeah, he did a cover of this song on the mixtape. But what's weird about this song is that this is where Hamilton or Burr uh, essentially turns the rest of the, you know, the count, the, you know, of the uh, cabinet against Hamilton. And this effectively leads to them going after Hamilton. And another cool thing about this is that the Ten Dual Commandments, it's probably out to here because the theme comes back here. But instead of representing dueling, it represents the dueling ideologies between Jefferson, Burr, and Madison against Hamilton's. Washington on your side. How much do tickets cost for like Broadway stuff? Oh, it depends. Um, if they have raff, they have raffles. Um, sometimes you can get Broadway tickets as low as sometimes like five dollars, depending on like how you like what you enter. And the highest, like the highest I um 
the highest I've paid, depending on where you go to, the highest I've seen them go for can be like they can range from really low to hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is it's basically like tickets to go to a concert. It varies, but they can be really, really inexpensive or they can be a really expensive depending on what you go for or what theater you're trying to go to. So let's say for this exact show that's going to be filming. Uh, well, I've had friends who went to go see Hamilton for like a hundred and like about a hundred, about a hundred plus dollars. And I had some that ended up lucking out and managed to see the show for under $20. Hmm. The thing about Hamilton though, is that they do these competitions where they invite tons of people to go and see the show for free. So they don't have to pay. They'll like put out these little things and the people who win it will get like we'll get my front row seat tickets to come and see this for free. They're always doing things, which is different from most Broadway plays. But Hamilton is always like finding ways so that people can come and see the show for free or get in without having to pay much. And the soundtrack in itself is available for free. So no one actually had to go to see the show to kind of experience it. Because it released the same day it came out on Broadway, which is not, which is very rare in in Broadway. They usually don't do that because they to, that can, that's considered like you're cutting cutting you know cutting the money in half. This is one last time. Um, basically, this is Washington decides he's going to step down and he's not only going to be running for like two terms and that's it. And Hamilton's trying to convince him to stay, but he's like, no, you know, we set a president. We're setting a president if we do this. And if I, and he's right. If him, if he just, if presidents could basically stay on and be like monarchies, I don't even want to think about some of the things that would be happening right now. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what this is about. It's about saying goodbye and stepping down something that Hamilton doesn't understand even now. But this is also another kick in the teeth to Hamilton because Washington was his main supporter without him. Hamilton has no support. Right. Yeah. I think that's very relevant in today, but just people just staying at their jobs for very long when they should damn well just let other people take over who are ready. Yeah, man, tell me about it. That's Japan in a nutshell. And also, just Chris Jackson just has such a really nice voice. He was in the original In the Heights as Benny and Man. And you, right. may, you may not know this. Uh, you know Corman Blue, uh, the Disney Channel star? Yeah, I love Corman Blue. Yeah, he was uh, he was also Usnavi, um, the second Usnavi after um, Lin Manuel stepped down from the role. And um, as for why Lin Manuel was Usnavi, In the Heights is loosely based is is based off of Lin's life, but Corman Blue was picked to play Usnavi um, after Lin stepped down from the role. And he did a pretty banger job too. Yeah, I remember hearing about Corbin Blue doing Broadway stuff after his his Disney run, which I was happy for him. Yeah, and also this thing, all of this stuff is actually from Washington's uh, actual address, farewell address, just music, just like musicali- uh, added, you know, with musicality added to it.
but yeah, um, me and my friends, my posse, you know, we always, you know, back when I was in, you know, still in touring, you know, in college, we would actively go out and see various Broadway shows and just kind of talk about it, have like Skype calls and talk about it afterwards. You know what we saw, what was our favorite show during that week? Mm. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, for those, I think we're so far removed that I wonder if any at the younger generation remembers what Skype is. Oh, people still know Skype. Oh, boy. Funny enough, this song was called One Last Ride in the off-Broadway production of Hamilton, which is basically like the prototype of this, of, of, a, of a musical. And it was way different than it than this one is. They remixed this song too on the mixtape, uh, and I think it included clips of then President Barack Obama. Hmm. And this is the, well, technically the final reprise or appearance of King George. And that is the bullet or Ariana DeBose delivering him that letter where he basically says that without Washington, America is going to go to shit, essentially. Because John Adams is a pushover. You don't see John Adams, but he's referenced. Hmm. I remember there's an HBO series about John Adams. I still got to watch that. Yeah, that was a yeah, it was pretty. That was pretty good. Yeah, with Paul Giamatti. And this song, I believe, is the Adams administration where Hamilton officially gets fired. Because he has caught, he catches beef with, um, <laughs> he gets his beef with John Adams.
this was actually a cut song actually and this was supposed to be a song but it got cut out this was supposed to be a song yeah it was supposed to be a full-blown song but it was cut and it just kind of goes from that to we know which is where they try to blackmail hamilton Also, they call they never call Hamilton by his name. It's mainly just an immigrant hmm. making fun of his Caribbean roots. Less. And Burr says this because he kind of semi gets off to the fact that he's kind of in an important conversation now. He's in the room finally. This whole thing, I mean, even though it's a mess, but it's something that still happens today in politics with people having these extramarital affairs with all these random people that they come in contact with and, you know, while they're in office. Mm -hmm. And this is in the eyes of a hurricane. And as I said, like about a half an hour ago, Hamilton only sings whenever it's a moment of weakness. And as Lynn said in Hamilton, the revolution, this is basically Hamilton kind of over like evaluating, excuse me, his situation and coming to the wrong conclusion to Hamilton in part one, his words always got him out of trouble. He was able to write. He was able to get Angelica to fall in love with him in his mind because of his words. He was able to rise up from being a bastard orphan because of his words. And he thinks that maybe if he can clear his name and write out what he's done, that it would somehow kind of clear him because it managed to work before. But that does, it doesn't work like that. It's a scandal at that point. And the fact that he married into a rich family <clears throat> and screwed over his wife. It, that's all anybody's going to care about now. They don't care why you did it. It's the fact that it's scandalous and people are going to talk about it. It's like the same reason like when some a celebrity does something dumb and it starts trending on Twitter for days 
is essentially what Hamilton ends up doing right here, at least in from the seventeen hundred the seventeen hundred uh the seventeen hundreds equivalent of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's what it is. And this is really where the arrogance of Hamilton comes to a head as well. Again, like I said, in Act 1, he had those friends, Lawrence, Lafayette, Mulligan, kind of hyping him up and gaslighting him. So now he's become so, his head is so far up his own ass that he can't really see any flaws in his logic. And it's letting him down. It's all about me, but never about what about my family? What what about my friends? He doesn't care about the bridges that he's burning here. And there's Burr's theme. Wait for it. But he doesn't listen. And yeah, this is where the shit hits the hypothetical fan. And everyone knows now that Hamilton cheated on his wife. Hmm, that's funny. Yeah, it's literally, that's the T-Sis, the song. Why didn't you stay with the other girl? Well, first of all, like um, it's because well, first of all, she's she's too she's poor, and also the fact that if he did do that, she was already legally married to another guy, but that guy was allegedly blackmailing Hamilton to keep on doing it, and for whatever fucking reason, Hamilton continued to do this and paid and bait the guy was hoeing out his wife, and Hamilton for whatever reason chose to still keep like messing around with this girl despite everything. The Skiles were some of the richest people in New York, and Angelica is back here, and and, and, and Hamilton thinks that he she's going to understand him, but no, she tells him off. You know, no, I put my sister before everyone else, and she said, you know, you're full of shit, Hamilton. I always, I knew that you're you were going to fly too close to the sun one day. <clears throat> it's still about me with him, and that's that, that's the the crazy thing. After all of this, Hamilton is still in it's all about me mode but at least i didn't take money from the government no one cares this is like the the trendy thing to talk about <laughs> this whole thing is staged, like orchestrated like a trap song a trap song how let me look at the book Oh, actually, I'll, I'll talk, save it afterwards. But yeah, they talk about the musical inspiration for each of these songs in the book and on Genius Lyric as well. And this is Burn. <laughs> <laughs> 